This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On Thursday, February 24, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. U.S. President Joe Biden has called Putin's invasion a premeditated war, warning in recent days that it was imminent given the more than 175,000 Russian troops massed along Ukraine's borders and Putin's rejection of a diplomatic solution. The Russian president had demanded that NATO pledge that Ukraine would never become a member of the Western Defense Alliance and a withdrawal of NATO troops from the former Soviet satellite countries of Central Europe, which are now NATO members. Such demands were non-starters and betrayed Putin's true intentions, which are now on display for all to see to incorporate Ukraine into Russia and weaken NATO and the community of democracies. Many analysts say that with this full-fledged invasion, building on his 2014 incursion into eastern Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea, Putin has actually strengthened and unified the Western alliance. On this edition of Encounter, what are the ramifications of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on China, on Moscow-Beijing relations, and on China-U.S. relations? This month marks 50 years since U.S. President Richard Nixon's historic trip to China, which effectively ended 25 years of isolation between Beijing and Washington. Nixon famously called his visit the week that changed the world. At the time, Beijing and Moscow were adversaries, so Nixon's visit drove a wedge between the then-Soviet Union and China, resulting in significant Soviet concessions to the United States. Fast forward to the current geopolitical context of China's hosting of the 2022 Winter Olympics and Russia's war on Ukraine. While several democracies like the United States, the UK, Canada, Japan and India conducted a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics due to China's human rights abuses, Russian President Vladimir Putin was more than happy to attend. Chairman Xi Jinping held high-level meetings with his Russian counterpart on the sidelines of the games that resulted in agreements on closer economic and security cooperation, including a 30-year contract for Russia to supply gas to China and a joint statement opposing NATO expansion. In the run-up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Chinese leaders talked about the importance of respecting Ukraine's sovereignty. However, Euronews reports that most of the world, except China, has condemned and threatened to hit Russian elites with massive and targeted sanctions. Joining us to discuss the U.S.-China relationship in the wake of Russia's aggression in Europe are two regional experts. Bonnie Glazer is director of the Asia program at the German Marshall Fund in the United States. And Zach Cooper, he's senior fellow in the Asia program at the American Enterprise Institute. And both panelists join me via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program. Well, Bonnie Glazer, I'd like to begin with you. First, I'd like to get your reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and your assessment of U.S., NATO and EU sanctions on Russia. So I think that the United States expectation that Russia was going to invade obviously turned out to be correct. Interestingly, I think that the Chinese were somewhat caught flat-footed. They seemed to have expected that this was just a bluff, and they have been trying to posture themselves in a way that they can protect all of China's interests. And this situation is rapidly unfolding. The United States has laid out first two now tranches of sanctions against Russia. There could 
be more to come. And those sanctions are on banks, and they also will limit access to uh, technology from uh, many countries, the Five Eyes nations and also the European Union. I expect that more countries will join over the next several days. So this is a rapidly developing situation. We don't know how far Russian forces are going to advance in Ukraine. And I think that is of great concern to Europe and the United States and, of course, together, the NATO alliance. Meanwhile, China sits on the side observing this situation and increasingly is leaning towards Moscow in its perspectives on this crisis. And that itself could signal some major geopolitical changes going forward. A fascinating analysis. Turning to you, Zach Cooper, for your reaction to this invasion, to the West's sanctions. And do you agree with Bonnie that China found itself flat-footed? I do think that China was flat-footed. It took about a day before we saw a clear statement from China of its approach. And in fact, it then had to escalate by having one of the chief spokespeople come out and really back Russia quite definitively. And I think that may have been a bit of a mistake in the sense that the United States has done actually quite a good job in working with its European allies and partners and some in Asia and elsewhere to criticize this Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think from uh, the perspective of Beijing, it must be somewhat concerning to see the United States rallying these allies' partners together and to have to be on the side of Putin, who's clearly engaging in incredibly irresponsible and damaging behavior on the world stage. So I I think China was caught flat-footed. In some senses, has already doubled down in this approach. But I, I do think, as Bonnie said, this is a bit of a different world between the statements we've seen the last few days and then the joint statement we saw from China and Russia just over the last few weeks, we now have quite a clear alignment between the two, in my view, clearer than it was ahead of this month. Again, let's pick up on this clear alignment between China and Russia over this invasion. So back to you, Bonnie Glazer. In other words, Xi Jinping is in a sense endorsing Putin's moves and in favor of this because initially there was this concern and they have relations with Ukraine. But where do you see this relationship going? Well, China has not backed the invasion, but every time that the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman has been asked about the invasion, she has used the term special military operation. She has refused to call it an invasion. She has described this as having some special historical circumstances, which again sounds like the Chinese are embracing Moscow's version of events that Ukraine somehow was posing a threat to Russia. So they're dancing around the issue here. They're not being very explicit. But it looks to me like what we've seen happen over the last several weeks is a decision by Xi Jinping to really throw in China's lot in with Russia in a way that I agree with Zach, I did not anticipate. And I think that this is a function of China's assessment of the international situation. And it may in fact be incorrect, but the Chinese believe that the United States and Western democracies are in decline. They see, of course, U.S. alliances as Cold War relics and would like to accelerate their disintegration. And China would like to shape the international system alongside Russia in ways to make it more favorable to the interests of autocracies. And it does see the United States as a declining power and sees the wind 
at its back. So China emerging in a way that it can be going forward more dominant in the region and in the world. So this is, a, I think, the biggest challenge that Xi Jinping has faced in the foreign policy realm in his nine-plus years in power. And it will be interesting to see the strategic choice that he makes. So turning back to you, Zach Cooper, once again, in terms of this particular military operation that Putin has undertaken, of course, using that euphemism, this terminology to avoid what's really going on, which is an invasion, in terms of Xi's endorsement and his decision, as Bonnie said, to throw his weight behind Vladimir Putin, what are the consequences of this in your view? And also, both dictators want to undermine the West, undermine NATO, democracies. But do you think Putin and Xi are taken aback and surprised by NATO's strength, by the unity. President Biden said two-thirds of the world now are together on imposing sanctions, let alone, you know, condemning this act of aggression. I have no idea what Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping think, but I am personally surprised that the Biden team has been able to keep the Europeans in particular so united NATO's policy, right? For example, having the Germans come out and essentially cancel the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, that took some really deft diplomacy. What we're seeing now is the Biden team actually getting a crisis that in some ways it can use to build this global coalition of key like-minded allies and partners. And it's struggled to do this over the last year, right? We've seen some allies and partners band together, especially Australia and Japan. Japan and India through the Quad, or Australia and the United Kingdom through the AUKUS deal. But building a global network has been much more difficult, especially uniting the Europeans and the Asians that the United States relies on so deeply. Now we have a crisis where Vladimir Putin seems to have overextended himself a bit and certainly has created a counterbalancing force within Europe. And I think the danger for China is that China, which over the last few years, in my view, has also overextended itself, could be damaged and lumped in with an overextended Russia. And the Biden administration in some ways could benefit from this by tying together the American allies and partners in Europe and Asia. And so this is a very tough task. I don't want to minimize how difficult this will be. But in some ways, I think this is a real risk for China. It has tried so hard to divide the United States from some key countries in Asia and in Europe. And now the Russians are doing some of America's business for it. You're listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. My guests are Bonnie Glazer, director of the Asia program at the German Marshall Fund here in the United States, and Zach Cooper, from whom you just heard. He's senior fellow in the Asia program at the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank also based in Washington. We're discussing U.S.-China relations on the 50th anniversary of President Nixon's historic trip to Beijing and in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. And here's a shout out to our loyal listeners throughout Ukraine. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to you, Bonnie Glazer. Pick up on what Zach Cooper said, that the extraordinary unity 
that we are seeing among the West, among NATO members, that the United States pretty much engineered to what extent this is going to give pause to China vis-a-vis its uh, rapprochement with Russia. How has the landscape, in your view, changed for U.S.-China relations as a result of this development? Well, first, I would say that I do think that Beijing did not anticipate the U.S. ability to really transform and reinvigorate its alliances, both in Asia and in Europe, which were really severely damaged under the Trump administration. And it has only been just over a year since Joe Biden has been president. This has been a priority of his administration. And they have made a lot of headway, strengthening the Quad, creating AUKUS, the Australia-US-UK agreement to build nuclear submarines for Australia, and really strengthening ties with the European Union. And I think that Beijing did not expect that this would happen so quickly. And now, against the background of the joint statement between Russia and China, and then followed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I think we will see even more cooperation among U.S. allies. And just in recent days, we have seen the willingness of Europe to do more than we anticipated. That said, there are some steps that so far the European Union has not been willing to take, and it looks like cutting off Russia's access to the SWIFT arrangements, which is the basically sort of messaging system that allows transactions to take place financially across borders that many people think would be very damaging to Russia. But apparently the European Union is reluctant to go that far. So there are limits. But we'll have to see what steps China is willing to take to mitigate the impact of those sanctions in in Russia. There are things that China can do, but it won't want to put at risk its commercial banks access to the international financial system. Uh, The implications for U.S.-China relations really remain to be seen. We've already seen, I think, pretty drastic deterioration in the U.S.-China relationship, which really started in the late Obama administration and then accelerated in the Trump administration and have continued in the Biden administration. The relationship is far more competitive, more fraught, and sometimes even adversarial. So here we are, as you mentioned, you know, the 50th anniversary of Nixon's trip to China. This is not, I think, what the Chinese hope to be celebrating this week. They had hoped that when Biden came into power that the United States would return to more amicable relations, more friendlier policies toward China. And that has not happened. So I think the Chinese are now digging in and preparing themselves for a very prolonged period of a very contentious relations with the United States. Well, that's a fascinating summary of the situation. Bonnie Glazer, you mentioned the AUKUS alliance meant to deter China's aggression against its neighbors, as well as, of course, the Quad. And now we're seeing you know, stronger unity among NATO allies. I'm sure it's going to give them some pause. At the same time, you also mentioned how China might be able to mitigate U.S. sanctions against Russia. What do you say to that, Zach Cooper? The role China may play, can it mitigate any of these sanctions, which will probably ratchet up? Not sure if they will include excluding Russia from the SWIFT system, which many, particularly in Ukraine, are advocating. How do you see that? I think Bonnie is exactly right that this is an incredibly difficult question for the Chinese. The more that China 
accepts U.S. sanctions or even European sanctions and goes along with them, the more frustrated the Russians will be. And yet, if China breaks with the U.S. and the Europeans on the sanctions regime, it will put at risk some major Chinese companies, especially Chinese financial firms, which then could be vulnerable, depending on the sanctions, to what we call secondary sanctions. And in the past, although we've had you know a two-year-long trade war with China, what we haven't had is U.S. actions to actually go after large Chinese financial institutions. And that would be certainly up for debate if China was openly flouting American sanctions. And so I think this could put Beijing in an incredibly difficult position. And it could, frankly, put American regulators in a tough spot as well. And I'm sure this is something that the Treasury Department and the White House here in Washington are thinking about as they consider what level of sanctions to put on Russia. They must be worried that if the sanctions are too harsh, the Chinese may not go along. And then the policymakers in Washington will have to choose whether to go after those those institutions in China that don't follow the sanctions, which would be a substantial worsening of the relationship. So I think this is a difficult question for both Beijing and for Washington in the next few days and weeks. Bonnie Glazer, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but in the press briefing on Thursday when President Biden was announcing accelerated intensified sanctions after the invasion, a reporter asked him, are you urging China to help isolate Russia? And President Biden said, I'm not prepared to comment on that. You know, what do you make of that non-answer? My guess is, and it is only a guess, that there are some plans for some high-level discussions, maybe even between President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping, or perhaps at the level of National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan with his counterpart, Yang Jiechi. And my guess is that they didn't want to have our highest-level leader or president make a statement that could perhaps disrupt whatever messages they wanted to send privately. I think there's also an element that the administration is probably trying to figure out how to respond to what the Chinese are saying. There were some public statements that the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman has made over the last several days that have been some of the harshest statements we have heard coming from China about the United States. So I think that the Biden administration is figuring out what China's intentions are at this point. It would not be very productive to just hit back and call out China's leader or insist that they do something that then forces Xi Jinping into a corner and makes him do just the opposite. So this is a moment, I think, for at least some deliberation before we signal something at the highest level. So I'm not surprised that President Biden decided to punt. That was probably a smart move, but I'd like to get your take on his non-answer, Zach Cooper. I agree with Bonnie. I think the White House probably wants to leave all paths open, but I'm guessing that folks at the White House are surprised to see the tenor of the comments coming out of the Chinese foreign ministry. 
in the last few days. So I'm guessing that the White House is hoping to wait and see whether we might see a change in tone from Chinese leaders over the next few days or weeks, especially if it becomes clear that Putin is just very overextended and has created such a counterbalancing effort within Europe and around the world. China may want to distance itself somewhat. And I'm guessing that Biden, as, as Bonnie was saying, didn't want to force China all the way into Russia's corner. But look, that may be the path that Beijing is going to go down anyways. Lastly, Bonnie Glazer, what about Taiwan? What do you think Taiwan is thinking as they watch Russia invade neighboring Ukraine, an independent sovereign country? We go back to 1972 when the United States and China agreed on the Shanghai communique, this one China policy that Taiwan is part of China. But the language was very vague. And we're seeing a much more aggressive China under Xi Jinping with the national security law in Hong Kong, the erosion of civil liberties and its aggressive posture vis-a-vis Taiwan. One member of Congress with whom I spoke recently, Elaine Luria, she believes that it's time for the United States to clarify the policy of strategic ambiguity. And she says it's no longer sufficient that should China attempt to take Taiwan by force, the United States should come to the defense of Taiwan. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I would say that the Ukraine situation and the Taiwan situation are quite different. I think that the U.S. decision to not send forces into Ukraine uh, has no implications for whether or not the United States would come to Taiwan's defense, and I believe it is certainly likely to. There are definitely things that Taiwan is watching, including the cohesiveness of U.S. alliances, the willingness of the U.S. and its allies to impose uh, sanctions on Russia, say something about whether or not they would do the same against China. And uh, importantly, I think Taiwan will look at some of the lessons that China may draw from this crisis, including how Russia uses hybrid warfare, disinformation, cyber, along with hard power to advance its goals. And it will be interested in how China draws some implications for whether or not it would be successful in doing something similar against Taiwan down the road. So there's lots of lessons for China and for Taiwan. And I think that this will be studied for some time to come. And Russia's playbook may serve in some ways as a model going forward. And Zach Cooper, you get the last word. It's such an important question. I think there are at least three lessons that jump out to me. First, the United States has done a remarkable job at publicizing what Putin has been planning to do before Putin does it. This suggests that the United States has actually quite good intelligence about Putin and his inner circle, as well as about Russian forces. And it has had this intelligence for months and been publicizing it very actively. I think this has to give the Chinese a bit of pause that if they were to try and conduct a major buildup around Taiwan, that that would be recognized. Obviously, they're very different countries, but this is a win for the U.S. intelligence community that it saw it coming and was willing to get out ahead of the invasion and state precisely what was going to happen. Second, I think the White House knows that there is a risk that the Ukraine crisis will be seen as a proxy for Taiwan. And if you go back to December, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan already had tried to damp down this discussion. He spoke at an event in mid-December and was asked about the connection between Ukraine and Taiwan. And he explicitly said that there is no Ukraine Relations Act. And what he was referring to there is that there is a Taiwan Relations Act. 
And yes, the U.S. commitment to Taiwan is ambiguous, but he was trying to make clear that there's more of a commitment to Taiwan through the Taiwan Relations Act than there is to Ukraine. And I think trying to delineate that what happens in Ukraine doesn't necessarily imply what the United States would do on Taiwan. And then finally, I think the thing to watch here is the degree of damage done by the Biden administration and its allies around the world on the economic side. If the United States is really able to make Russia pay a high economic cost, and we've seen some quite serious sanctions applied now, I think that will have to concern Xi Jinping. But the final point I'll add is, at the end of the day, an invasion of Taiwan by China, that may come down to a military question. And I think unlike Ukraine, the U.S. would have to wager that it might have to be directly involved in that kind of crisis if it were going to deter it. And so I think that's going to be the $64,000 question going forward. And on that note, I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this edition of Encounter. I'd love to thank my guests, Bonnie Glazer, director of the Asia Program at the German Marshall Fund in the United States, and Zach Cooper, senior fellow in the Asia Program at the American Enterprise Institute. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America. 